Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. And we welcome you this morning to Everything Co-op. And we have Miss Roberta McDonald on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Miss McDonald. Thank you, Mr. Oaks. Good morning to you. Okay. I normally call you Roberta. Is that okay? Only if I can call you Vernon. Yes, ma'am. Yes, All right. ma'am. So I know you're in D.C. this morning, and you're with Cabot Creamery. Yes, and I am fresh from last night's Co-op Hall of Fame induction. Having seen you there, I... I hope that's part of what we talked about today. Let's talk about it because I had such a great time listening to those four great heroes, co-op heroes. And the whole day, matter of fact, let's start with the 115, the impact session. Sure. Was that 130 yesterday? Because Carla Ducker, uh, when she spoke from D.C. Co-op and she was talking about uh, the credit unions. Yeah. Yes. Credit unions. I almost came to tears. I had to to push them back because of what all that they have done and her being an immigrant. They've only been here a short period of time. It's just phenomenal what can happen. The story of co-ops, particularly in urban areas, and what they've done, whether it's downtown Manhattan, Del Rio's Texas on the border. I certainly know in parts of Missouri, Oklahoma. Credit unions have been these lights, if you will, of what real financial health has been and means. And yes, to see lives change, to know, as uh, Dick Ensweiler was talking about, that people are coming out of the credit union and with money in their account, not in their pocket, and with the check cashing scammers and about to be beaten up and their money taken because they didn't have any identification as immigrants. Uh, or day workers, if you will, in Texas. I mean, I am so proud to even be aware of what credit unions and co-ops are. I think your radio show should be mandatory in business classes. Thank you. Uh, Vernon, I thank every every day for Chuck and what NCB has done. You're talking about Chuck Snyder for everybody out there, the president of NCB, yes. He's been... You know, he's in the Hall of Fame, and he's like Martin Lowry and Rick LaRochelle, Rich LaRochelle. They're they're people that we recognize within the co-op community, but I wish the world understood that these people put their hearts on the line way before co-ops were cool. They're certainly becoming cooler now, but they put money and the reputations of their organizations on the line, whether it was... NCB, National Cooperative Bank, or Land O'Lakes, or the National Rural Electric Association, and said, we can do better for our communities, and we are going to do better for our communities. And they did do better for their communities. (laughs) Yes. I'm so proud to know these people. 
I want to fill in a little bit on Richard Insweller. He was on this show uh, three weeks or so ago. He was on. We had him on. And the story is that in Texas, people were Mexican, were coming across the border. They were working every day, but they could not cash their checks. They'd have to go to these check cashing places and pay huge amounts to cash their checks and walk out with cash and be subject to people ready to beat them up for their money. Because they didn't have they didn't have any ID. They didn't have uh, a bank they could go to. And he made it working with the Department of Justice possible to get an agreement on what constituted identification from the Mexican government so that they could these people could participate. More than that, and what people don't realize about a lot of the Western co-ops, it's like the big city, I can think of many people uh, that started, they do it in Vermont with our new Americans. Not only do they get the checks in, but they help them start saving accounts. So you're not always borrowing against the next check because you can't make things work. And in Vermont, we figured out lower income people need rides to the doctor, somebody to make calls for them because they're hourly people that can't, like anybody that's a white collar, pick up the phone any time of day and make a doctor appointment for your child or take time off to go. So co-ops are supporting whole lives, if you yes. will. Yes. And I, I just that was another example when he was telling me that. He had to go to the government to get them their ID. Mm-hmm. And when he got the Mexican ID to show who they were, and as he described them both last night and on the show, that these are family people, they're God-fearing, they they go to work, they send back money home to other family members. They're just great people. And I said to him, that's a little bit different story from what I hear from some folks in the White House now. <laughs> Don't give that any of your attention, all right? Don't give any of that any of your attention. I I know that that's what I'm saying. I think what's happening with co-ops, we expect this big visible sea change. We thought we had it made co-ops as the future when Enron failed, when the housing crisis came, when it wasn't the co-ops that went bankrupt. It wasn't the credit unions. We can't be bothered with these mean, horrible people. We do everything we can with everyone we know right in front of us. And it will ripple up. It will. We are building tides now. Michael Peck was on the radio program, and you just reminded me. I was talking about the trickle down from the taxes, and he said, oh, he wants it to gusher up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I like that. And the way one way of getting to gusher up, and the only way I really know is through this co-op movement. And that's why I'm so excited about co-ops and did not learn about them in the MBA program, didn't learn about them. I wasn't on a farm. I, I really envy people that some of these people have worked 50, 60 years in the co-op movement and they knew about it as teenagers. Well, Vernon, times are changing, dear. Um, I can tell you right now that sustainable entrepreneurship in Vermont includes our CEO, Ed Townley, uh, just did a class last week. Rich La Rochelle and Adam Schwartz have a course at the University of Mary Washington. Christina Clamp is starting one at the Southern New Hampshire, and St. Joseph's is always there. But those old saws of they don't know aren't teaching it in business school or just that. It, it's changing. And the change is being demanded by the students who have done their homework when you talk about high impact, um, when you talk about 
reasonable rates for credit cards when you talk about worker ownership. Um, Co-ops are on the rise because it's the right thing for these times. Rich Lowershall gave me his syllabus and said, please use it. And that's what I like about (laughs) co-ops, too. And the fifth principle of training education is share information. And I put together a syllabus and gave it to the dean at Howard. And he came back and said with the idea that I would teach it, I taught marketing at Howard for five years. And he came back and said there's no demand. And I think he talked to faculty members. So I've been trying to reach students to see if the students would want to take that. And if I could get 10, 20 students that would want to take it, I think I could get that done at Howard. And that's what I really would like to do. Somewhere I'm going to teach this class. You should. Vernon, get that wonderful MC from last night to do your social media. And you can communicate to the students by listening to what they're watching or the groups they're engaged with. That's how we intersect to bring up the subject of cooperatives in the areas they're interested online. I'm telling you, nobody, very few people talk much anymore. And I love that you're a podcast because people can go back and hear your wisdom. But you're, you're pretty much all we have anymore. There used to be a show. There was a financial minute. I know we sponsored that for many years at Cabot when there was more of a marketing arm with CUNA. But you're pretty much it. You're the the clarion call, if you will. But we've got to get all the youngins to be out there hashtagging Vernon Oaks or something to make sure people understand the options and put them on all our websites. I know we do at Cabot. We have a cooperative website. But I realize now I don't have a link to your program, and I should. I don't have a link to the Heroes page at CDI, but I should. Um, So I'm going to go home and change that because we do drive a lot of young people to our site because of our B Corp certification. So so go to everything.coop. Okay. And that's what you can get. So it's our name of our show is Everything Co-op and our web page is everything.coop. And as Esteban Kelly said, the young man at MC, uh, you don't use the WWW anymore. And he said that he (laughs) thought he had to tell us old folk that. (laughs) Well, wasn't it interesting? It was such a great split between us ancients (laughs) and these young Turks. I mean, I'm feeling, I don't remember uh, a group, unless they were relatives, of such naturally young and beautiful. and, And beautiful, by beautiful, I mean the energy that was there last night. I'm pretty impressed how many i think of candace and kaylee and you know these 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 wonderful people and vernon i gotta tell you a secret i think you know with ann reynolds coming in to the hall of fame which i think was a she's had a remarkable contribution to co-ops in all kinds of ways and i just think she's just such a great role model for so many women and that's and if you noticed more and more credit unions are women directed it's not sort of the the white guy in the red tie old school leadership we're different colors we're different flavors we're different religions <laughs> and more women it's come out uh, several times that women have been the backbone of the co-op movement in the US and in the in the white world, the women were the backbone and the white men were in charge. In the black world, women were both the backbone and they had a lot in charge, like Nanny <laughs> Helen Burroughs right here yeah. in D.C., that the black women would come up to to the front. 
So we're seeing more and more women in the front, and that's because they've been there, and it's been mostly, I don't know, it's 70, 80 percent of cooperators have been women. Um, as members, you're saying. And mm-hmm. now they're, now they're as members. I mean, even mm-hmm. in some of the videos we saw, as the the men's lives were shown, the number of women and, in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Changed. They, they 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 started being more women, more ethnicities. Uh, you can't tell religion by color, but <laughs> but that that diversity was apparent in those um, pictures at the timelines. Yeah, we've got to take our first break, Roberta. Okay, we'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. is everything cooperative and we we have roberta mcdonald on on the line with us this morning roberta has been in and around co-op for quite a long time and uh roberta i think you should be in the hall of fame but that that that'll come that'll come oh yes yes vernon there are so no and i'll tell you why i actually and i went round and round with this with liz bailey and richie said it our nominee uh, and who was inducted last night, Dr. Richard Stammer, who his interview with you was fabulous, by the way. I love that one. Um, I did, too. I, that was, he was such upbeat and so much knowledge. <laughs> okay. I, I'm hoping in time that what what is celebrated in the Hall of Fame, and this is just a fantasy, Vernon, is really impact of cooperatives so that we have Hall of Fame impact. And we would be looking at the results rather than the people. And I believe... Focusing there is what might raise consciousness about what co-ops do. But that's just a sidebar. It's, I think the, the change in lives in Del Rio's Texas is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the change of lives from Opportunity Credit Union in Vermont is what I'm talking about, where we have just hundreds of these beautiful, various, I think we speak 120 languages in Burlington, Vermont now. Mm. But they, but these are people who co-ops are helping them feel that they belong. The Bosnians escaping Muslim persecution in our company. In your company? We're in our company. And granted, everybody's pretty thrilled to have Christmas holidays off because the Muslims don't recognize that holiday. <laughs> um, but these are people who have learned English and our ways, but they're making us a better community, a stronger company. I just want to make sure I understood you right. I'm sorry, Roberta, but you're saying they're coming to your company to avoid persecution? In other words, these are Bosnians who have come to Vermont, and we're fortunate enough to be able to employ some of them. Okay. So we have lots of refugees, uh, whether it's coming through church or state, to our community, which is impossibly difficult. If you can imagine coming from an arid dry country like Africa, parts of Africa, and you're thrown into, you know, the 10 months of winter in Vermont. (laughs) 
but it's the credit unions that are working with, say, Rhino Foods, uh, a manufacturer in Burlington, and I'd say 90% of their employees are new Americans. So they're teaching English, they're teaching financial literacy, they're, and it's all because of the credit union partnerships that this can come about. So that impact is what I would love to see nominated at the Hall of Fame. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not the, not not to diminish in for one m- microsecond the people that have made such a difference. But I know Ann Reynolds would be the first person to say it's the outcome of what she did in Madison that deserves the attention and should be shared. So, so, so we've got. Richard Enns Weller, who's credit union, and that yeah. was in Texas, and getting Mexicans, Mexicans, and Mexican Americans, uh, so that they could have financial services, financial products. And then we talk about Ann Reynolds, who's up in University of Wisconsin, who is in education, but she impacted every sector. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and you talked a minute about your boss who was talking about cows and cabbage creamery. <laughs> right. And and farm families who, I mean, over a thousand farm families, uh, it, who entire families and entire industry in the Northeast depended on uh, the development of the Cabot brand. But then you have Terry Appleby, who's not that, but maybe a hundred miles away from us, that is affecting in the they call it the upper valley between New Hampshire and Vermont, these farmers in the area would not have stayed in business were he not to be about healthy eating and collaborative production and what a group to come in together last night. Yeah. I mean powerful. So he was in food co ops, we had food co ops, credit unions, education and the farmers and it was just very exciting to be there. Well, Vernon, I was on, you know, if you nominate somebody, you have to sit on the committee that mm-hmm. um, votes to elect, as you know. The selection committee. <laughs> yeah, and which I was kind of stunned by. I, But I couldn't believe how many incredible choices there were. I mean, there's just stacks of people that, that could be in the Hall of Fame. And, and how difficult is that to select from among those proffered as as honorees, but it just goes to show that this is a business model, a better business model that is doing the right thing throughout the entire United States and in some of the most poorest parts. So I think about the women, say, from West Virginia that tried to run for the Senate, and if only she'd known about the health care co-op in Seattle or that you don't have to run for office to change the system. You can change the system with a co-op. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the part that I'm thinking is finally going to gel now. We we take our problems and we say, those of us that can, we'll try to fix them from our sectors, whether it's housing uh, or power or that Mike Reiser, uh, I think, from Marlboro, Virginia, that you know has broadband access in rural part of Virginia. You know, as part of the electric commitment, that's a solution I'm taking back to Vermont. That's a solution any rural part of the country who grapples with the same problem. The big companies don't want to serve rural. Well, that was the start of co-ops across the country. And now it's happening again with broadband. Well, when I was talking about tears coming in my eyes yesterday or feeling full, um, when he was talking about that, that 
that people in his in their, those counties in Virginia, which was right up to West Virginia, and I'm from West Virginia, and I know these small communities, but they've never seen they've never streamed a Netflix, okay, right. movie. They can't. I, it's almost like it's impossible. That's a whole nother world. I mean, I kind of watch Netflix every other night, a stream. So it's. It's amazing that what people don't have that some folks that just take for granted and they're they're putting it in. And what was interesting, he kept said he said two or three times it doubled their balance sheet. That means that they took out more, much more, twice as much debt as they had before to put this in. And it's a huge risk, huge risk. And, and that's a very long term return model. Correct. Yeah. But co-ops are willing to take the long view. Well, that's why when you talked about when the housing market happened, that the cooperators, the credit unions were not putting their customers in these terrible uh, products, these terrible mortgages, because they know at some point they can't pay them. So the, the credit unions didn't go under. That's well, they're not. Long term. The it's, it's the member ownership. It's like we there, people have been so let's see, since co-ops really lost sort of their flavor. I would say in the 50s, when when everything went to canned and processed and we thought we were being smart as Americans and shipping our, our agriculture around the country in this, with, with hydrogenated oils mm-hmm. <laughs> to preserve them. I mean, we just we got a little crazy for a while because we didn't know how good we had it. But the, the beauty about food co-ops is reestablishing that connection to the earth and what's local and honoring the farmers that provide your your food. Just remember that even with climate change, and I and, and I don't want to be mean and cruel, but the farmers, the people that have the land that grow the food, they may not be honored in some parts, but they're going to be all. They're going to be the new one percent, the people with water and food, if things don't improve, right? Mm-hmm. But but more importantly, where where people are stockpiling and storing guns and are afraid, they were afraid. That's what made them vote the way they did. The, that fear can be eviscerated if you can connect through your community co-ops. It's it's so simple. You can't scream and yell at somebody that li- that you see face to face. You that maybe one night, but you can't keep that up. You you're bound to love each other, especially if you have any faith. <laughs> well, you you get into the people and what makes us work and. Jessica Gordon Emhard, who was on, has been on the show two or three times, said that there was some research done that said that when people work together, the body secretes endorphins that cause people to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going. And she said women have secrete more than men. That that, and maybe that's why women have been in the co-ops world so much is that they they feel good they feel happy they produce and they can help each other and help their community and help their families it's phenomenal and it's fascinating and i love it and joy and joy was number two Anne's reason you know sort of rules for the future give joy i think it's why women have babies i don't know the guys secrete a lot of good juju but you sure secrete a lot of stuff we need when people are afraid Mm. Anyway, whoa, whoa, this conversation is mm. taking some weird turns running. It's all your fault. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're getting ready to take our second break, Roberta, and I just find this fascinating. And I want to come back after the break. You said that co-ops are doing the right thing. And in the 115, talking about the impact, the ABCs of co-ops, I'd like to come back after the break and talk about uh, what causes co-ops to do the right thing. What about co-ops is the right thing? Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O. at 95.9 FM. everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative, and Roberta McDonald is our guest today. And before we took a break, we said we're going to come back and talk about the ABCs of co-ops and what makes co-op do the right things, or what about co-ops causes the right things to happen for individuals and families and communities and, quite frankly, the world. Roberta, what was your view of this, this report well, ABC first of all, we have to thank the Urban Institute, right, for putting it together. Pretty exciting what Brett had to deliver. And that's Brett Theotis. Yeah. yeah. I I love the documentation of it. We've all appreciated but not been able to articulate well, I think, the the financial security, the democratic values. A lot of people don't want to be bothered, so the idea of democracy kind of scares them is don't make me have to ask me to do anything. They don't realize that just lends itself to transparency and direct benefit. So it's changing what democracy means, I think, is part of our challenge is understanding that that's a benefit and not an obligation. Um, it goes back to Montesquieu and Locke, and I think about the fundamental dichotomy with democracy. It's almost it's a responsibility that some people don't want to know everything. Some people think people don't know enough to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're better off having a chance to understand that we can balance that incredible gap with wages, whether farmers get the extra milk check profitability. They also have their workers have pensions. You know, there's a there's a reciprocity, a symbiosis in our company and that the employees make sure the farmers Milk comes to the best cheese, and the farmers are guaranteed a place for their for their milk. And we're not going to be our we're not going to be sold, you know, to the highest bidder, um, the way a lot of startup companies do. Worker-owned co-ops. I think of King Arthur Flour or Gardner Supply in our neck of the woods. And that co-op nature means that everybody is benefiting, and you're not going to put one group of workers or customers out because so that the stockholders make more. Um, there's a consciousness to co-ops. It wasn't didn't happen to be C, but it was community commitment with C. Mm-hmm. Well, I liked even the first in the ABC, the access, that cooperatives can increase access to aff- affordable uh, quality products, service supplies, and markets. Lowering the costs and serving markets and communities historically seen as higher risk well, for the underserved. It's not just, it's not even underserved. 
I think we're all underserved now in this economy. There isn't, unless you're in the 1%, you're underserved because unless you're dealing with cooperatives, look what Howard Brodsky did, uh, not just his new um, co-ops for a better world and this synergy online informing like co-op employees what the benefits of cooperative are, but he gave mom and pop stores around the country um, access to the same prices that the big box stores benefit because they have such volume. He's affording that volume quotient the way Ace is to allow Gina Schaefer and, and her husband Mark to have D.C., great number of D.C., I think it's 12 Ace hardware stores, so that they can hire people who are um, coming out of prisons and have pledged to get off drugs that were made so easy to obtain to oppress people. They are they're making their communities stronger by selling hardware. I mean, yeah. isn't that exquisite? Well, and Gina Schaefer's been on a couple of times. I call her a cheerleader because you would not expect her <laughs> at a hardware store. <laughs> so, and they do such a great job. To me, Gina and I think of Kaylee uh, Howard's one arm paper hanger for co-ops for a better world. These young women, to me, are. It's not just cheerleader. I think that's women cheer and men sort of just nod their heads affirmatively. And I know I embarrass some of my fellow men because I think I'm in a Baptist church when I listen to co-ops. It's always, yeah, yeah. amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and I know that's not polite or done or bleh. But anyway, that, that what Gina is, is she wears her purpose on her sleeve. It's not just something we talk about. Purpose is in every way. It is in her focus, in her language. And Mark Freeman is no different. Mark, her husband, is no different. His is just quieter, right? Um, what a commitment. Absolutely. So that gets to the A was access, the B is business sustainability. And you've already talked, hit on a lot of that firm survive on profitability through higher and less volatile revenues, making the long-term decisions. And they can yes. compete with multinational the Walmarts of the world or whoever is selling the Home Depot, selling carpet. Um, Broski is helped by vo buying volume, these purchasing co-ops, buying volume, Ace Hardware. Well so. And he's doing it brilliantly. He's really just contracting for a price. So he doesn't have to build warehouses. He doesn't have to get into distribution systems. Um, it's really an incredibly shrewd business model. I mean, it's shrewd. There should have been gotten all the way to S for Howard. Shrewd. <laughs> I would feel like Chuck. Shrewd. These these men were are fortune tellers. They're prescient, and they've and they believed in something the way many of the leaders in uh, co-op housing in Manhattan have done. There's so many names that I've lost in my memory that that all made it happen. What I was I was going to take you to though, if I could, is from the growth. I think growth was almost attached to the ABC, so he, he got through G. Co-ops, for me, they don't have to grow; they have to serve. So if the community's not growing, I mean, that's it's a it's a different world. But what you can assure is, if you want to start a business, what you can do, and what C, what the cooperative development centers are doing, and what CDI does in the Northeast is, it's more and more interest to me these worker-owned co-ops that. If somebody, if Sam Walton had known about co-ops 
I think Walmart would be a very different company. And I'm I'm still working on his daughters. In, instead of investing in crystal bridges anymore or, or American artwork, let's invest in your workers. Let's give them not only better wages and services, but why not stock? Why not look at it more broadly? And that's the challenge we, as a company that benefits from selling through Walmart, also, as much as food co-ops, we honor all forms of selling just to benefit our farmers, right? But in an ideal world, we're always carrying the water about co-ops to the table, to when we when we know the owners of the of these stores. If just just to try, right? mm-hmm. just to try. So have you? So we we talked about the ABC. You talked about Democratic already. So you got the D. Uh, you talked about the F and G. I want to talk a little bit more about growth and come back to E in the ABCs of co-ops. The growth was is, and and you've hit it already. A lot of it is not like growing your business, like going from a small store to a larger store to national and then international. It's growing the community. That's what I like right. about it. It's, it's economic multiplier effect that in a co-op, whether it's a food co-op or a worker cooperative, the people live and work in that neighborhood and they spend their money. Instead of in a lot of black communities, when I took economics, is that the money may not even turn one time because they get their paycheck, well, pay off their bills and buy stuff before they even get home. But with the co-op, people live and work in that community, and then you get the multiplier effect of five or seven times that that money turns in the neighborhood. And that gets that multiplier effect going to increase community investments, local jobs, and local procurement. That's that's the growth part of it. Vernon, any store in a small town or any businesses in a small town probably feel they have the same multiplier, whether they're co-op or not. And And I don't know... You hit on a key word for me. It's probably one of the greatest irritants in my life, and it's the word stuff. I often wonder what we value and where we spend money. And I'm kind of glad that very rich foreigners are buying the stuff that has big logos. <laughs> I like I like to think that co-ops are help redefining what my E would have been enough. What is enough? In the ABCs, it's equity, diversity, and inclusion which I think is important, but my second E would be enough. So part of the benefit to me of cooperative structure and the seven principles is we're also leading different lives. If if you look at the food co-op, it doesn't have every brand and it doesn't have, it has, it's almost taking you down a, a good food lane, if you will. If you purchase from like a True Value or Ace Hardware, you're helping somebody write in that town or one of Howard's carpet ones or the Joe Bergeron in Vermont, all the, uh, the credit unions in our state, they are actually allowing people to have enough, not just by savings, by better rates. And so in my heart, that E means enough on all kinds of levels and not false acquisition of things, of stuff, Okay. Well, I want to come back and talk about that enough, but let's. I, I, before that, the equity, diversity, and inclusion was the second reason I like co-ops, and that's the first principle that it's open to everybody, regardless of race, regardless of uh, religion or politics or gender. It just 
it just doesn't, and it doesn't make any difference where you come from. That's why Richard Inswelder and them could work with the people in Mexico. It doesn't make any difference where people come from. Amen. Okay. It's the people. <laughs> so it's, it is people, right? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was our constitution, but you know, what, what am I? What the do people, I know? But no, <laughs> and I used to be mad at politicians. A lot of politicians I find are, they get money from the wealthy and therefore they make policies for the wealthy. And I say they're not for the people. And I got, yeah, they are for people, but they're for the 1% people. And we need people in there that are going to be for the 99 or the bottom 50%. Uh, how do you get to we, the total, the masses of people. But I like the co-op in this equity and diversity and inclusion that minorities of whatever or low-income communities can join the co-op and have a voice and have a say and have leadership opportunities that they can move up based on skill set and character as opposed to your race or your politics or your religion. So, yeah, I like, okay, we can preach on co-op here. Okay, go ahead. Well, you, no, no, no. You're saying something that's even beyond co-ops, though. That's the equality, diversity, inclusion is it's either one of our biggest, greatest sins as a country. I think how we came to these shores and how ironic it is that you can trace, some people trace and value their their lineage back to the Mayflower, which just cracks me up, whereas the ones that trace it back to the tribes they trampled aren't recognized. Um, we're sort of, we've been built on really broken ground and, and not trying to get too pithy at this point in time, Vernon. I love that co-ops have included that in their, it's not in the principles, but I love in the ABCs, you're saying something very important. And I only recently after black lives mattered, really appreciated what you're saying because my only prejudices I felt in my life were being female, and and everything was a flirtation. And if I said something at a meeting, I heard a guy say the same thing three minutes later, and all of a sudden he was heard. And I will so, we'll come back and get you heard, but I've got to take my <laughs> last break. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll be right back. Everybody, don't touch the back because I really want to hear devil. what you have to say. We'll be right back. News Talk, 1450 AM WOS 95.9 FM. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And Miss Roberta, you were talking nah. about being a woman, and sometimes, and you know, my wife would tell me this. Uh, we both work for Cummings Engine Company in, in Indiana, and she said that she would say something in a meeting, and nobody would hear her. And a guy would come back, in, their, in our case, white guy would come back and say the exact same thing, maybe even using the same words, and everybody go, yeah, that's a great idea. So yeah. Yep. So your wife and I have something in common. Never let it bother me, but it did turn me into sort of a filterless person. In other words, I just learned to speak up louder and sit, and I, I, unlike most women, said, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you hear me? Didn't you well, hear me? I, I'm sure I really appreciate your support, George, for repeating what I just said. But I would say it in a 
sort of a comic way. But but that's so petty relative to equality. And but it's really um, not petty. I don't. It's not. I feel petty. It, well, here here's why I say it's not because being a African American in the United States, whenever racism showed up whether it was not being heard or not getting the job or not getting a promotion or somebody calling you the N-word while you're driving. Whatever, however it showed up, it affects the consciousness. It affects the person. It, and in some cases, if you went on the offense, too often people will go on the defense and they'll take it and it robs them of their growth and having this self-worth and this confidence. That's a very important point, Vernon. That's, I wish, you know, you've got some gems that you lay down. I wish there was a way to embroider them on shirts, and that would be one of them. What I, what I also want you to respect from my background is the only prejudice I ever witnessed or was subject to, besides this later-in-life woman thing at the board table, was... Um, I, I was raised all over different countries. My dad was in the army. So the only mm. prejudice I knew was I couldn't date the sergeant's son. I couldn't date the colonel's son. I could date captain's children. <laughs> you know, it's it's a different. The military gives you a different sense. It's almost like somebody has to be oppressed in it's some a, yeah. form or another. It's more like the class system. You have to you have to mingle within your class, whatever that class is. Exactly, and it it felt. Have you ever spent many much time with um, Indian folks who are in business who escaped the caste system? I mean, we were nothing <laughs> compared to there, where everybody actually looks the same, but for some reason, some are crawling on the ground eating dirt, and others have gold. The world, why do we have to do that? Okay, so let's not go down that lane. That's well, well, I got it. Before you, before you change it a minute, yeah. I had a student at Howard that was from India, and she had to marry the persons her mom said she yeah. had to marry. And that was so, and she dealt with, and we were close enough, she would talk to, to me about it, and the fear, because the, also the fear if they got the wrong man, he could literally kill her. Okay, I mean, it was such such a different world. And the, well, the stuff that people have to go through. And yet India has many co-ops, okay, Vernon? Just yes. So you. <laughs> yeah. And it has many people with many different kinds of things. And how do we – this is why I like the co-op world with this first principle and this E in this ABCs of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, Vernon, Vernon, Vernon. Thank God NCB sponsors you. I, I'm so glad you can cover so many different subjects from – such a poignant point of view and i really hope that the abcs i think i hope next year the institute takes it further and goes on past g <laughs> and and i really i'm looking for because everything that was in here it's stuff that i've talked about on this show i said so it's nothing new to me are you proud and, yeah and, and <laughs> but it see it on paper was phenomenal and then the the, the then talk about Going and getting the examples and uh, the case studies of of looking at how it really affects how the different co-ops affect us, and you're talking about Howard Brosky and the housing co-op and Cabot Creamery, all of these different things that we've done, taking people when they're they're having hardships, <laughs> and taking them when they're happy. We can do so much more. Um, the, the government is going to be able to afford less and less our capacity for. Compassion is, is diminished by just the 
meeting minimal needs, you know, at some point we're going to have to get a little more politically active, I think, um, and less passive about who's in charge, less straddling. But I think the young people will take us there. And I hope that everybody takes a vacation at another co-op. I keep hounding Cornelius at the Southern Farmers. Southern Federation of Cooperatives. Yeah. You know, going back to Ralph Page days, but where I think NCBA has been so fundamental in promoting just co-op development in the state, let alone internationally. But this is this is a new era now. It's not just the current presidency. I believe this is a new era for co-ops, and it's not because we're looking to be recognized. I think we're just doing it, and we, we've built the fields, and they will come. And I think it's just a matter of boasting a little bit louder, doing some of the interplay in communities like we do in Vermont between the credit unions and the food co-ops and the electric co-ops. And we all just shout out to each other's members, and we're going to do it louder and harder. And thanks to the meeting last night, we're going to be doing it with Massachusetts and New Hampshire. We decided we're coming out as co-ops. We're just coming out, and we're going to do more together. And then if anyone sees us that wants to change to a worker-based co-op or wants to realize that they're probably a member of two or three co-ops and don't realize it, we're happy to have them at the party. Well, my job, my life, my mission is to get cooperators and get people to promote co-ops. I found that in my short time in this world is that co-ops do a great job and they don't tell anybody but themselves. So... Let's tell oh, you clearly don't know me well enough. Well, <laughs> perhaps with different people like you, but for the most part, we really don't speak out and tell the world. Now, I tried to get Bernie Sanders on his program a long time, and he's from Vermont, and you guys you keep talking about that, and I've seen him talk about co-ops. How do we get, get him talking about co-ops? We, in our summit, and Deb Troika from Indiana, we brought governors in of all parties. I'm not giving Bernie any special spin here because, frankly, Peter Welch and Pat Leahy have been more aggressive about supporting co-ops. But we have the candidates for governor and state office at our summit address, uh, Joe Bergeron and I. We've done it a couple, few times, three times. Before we even let them get elected in the primaries, we, we have them tell, what are you going to do with co-ops? What do you, And you find out how... Well, we're a co-op because we shared our profit. I mean, we really had a candidate for governor that just was so ignorant. But it but it served to at least influence. We've got co-op language laws that have been somewhat improved in the business industry, and there's a way to do it that's pretty exciting. Okay, just real quickly, we're running out of time, but you talked about enough is to eat. And I just want to let you know that I'm writing a book. I started it on simplistic living. My boss at Howard taught me this. And it starts off with what are your basic needs? And yeah. and it goes through about five steps. And it really gets people to take a look at what do you really, really need in order to live and survive? And, and it really helped me to turn my world around where I didn't need that much. I really just don't need that much. So I'm not always grabbing and trying to figure out how to get more. It's a phenomenal, mm-hmm. so, yeah, enough. It's a good place, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, one of the great CUNA, um, we, and we have it on our website, is Little Kids uh, Savings. We have a scout patch on this as well. You earn, and you, when you earn, whether it's allowance or whatever, or and I do this myself, you save some, you spend on your needs, 
but then you make sure you give it away. So it's an old church principle of tithing. Now, I tithe for prisons and hospice. I'm an above-ground railroad operator getting uh, women out of, coming out of prison with no friends, get, get them home to their families. And so you do what you do, and it's much more fun to spend money helping, frankly, than on another thing you got on sale. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. I wish we had more time to talk about your prison and hospice piece because I really like talking about getting co-ops in the prison and, and how they really helped in, in Puerto Rico and Italy. But there's a lot we can do. And I have family members in prison. I have nephews particularly. It's interesting that black men as opposed to black women, they really after have three nephews in jail, two in jail right now, the third one within a lot, and I have three great nephews. Uh, yeah, this whole prison conversation and what we could do with co-ops in the prison. We, we have to do it before prison, right, Vernon? Yes. We've got we to get. We've got to give people purpose before they turn to drugs or theft. We have so much we need that I think of Roosevelt and work programs. If we ha- we have an infrastructure that's collapsing, you know, let's let's put people to work to repair what we need. Let's people. It's just very silly to cage them way after the fact. But we all know that. I, I want to be elected queen of the universe and have a magic wand. Okay, can you facilitate that? Well, I think you do, but it's co-ops <laughs> and you have a wonderful voice. Listen, we've got to go, and I really right, thank dear. you. Thanks for having me. Thank You're you very, very brave. much. <laughs> and everybody out there, please live this week cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM.